So, Manal, in the mid-90s, there was a book written called Infinite Jest by David Wallace. He wrote about a movie that was that entrancing, so enchanting, so addictive, that the audience had to keep watching at the detriment of their own health. They, they pretty much committed suicide watching this thing on loop. Are we in that kind of a world right now? Are we in that dystopia yet? So, do you use TikTok? I don't use TikTok, no. I don't use TikTok too, but I know a lot of friends struggling their kids' addiction Very to TikTok. Popular. And the technologist Felix Salmon said once that TikTok is the closest that the world have ever come to the entertainment of Infinite Jest, an immersive experience that's so addictive that its users forget to eat or drink or sleep. Just be thankful that your phone has finite battery life. Yeah. And that's exactly what I've been hearing the stories from parents of kids who are highly addicted on TikTok. In today's episode from season two, we talk about all the techniques technologists deploy to make their technology highly addictive. Yeah, we're like zombies in front of our screens now. We will explain to you what are the elements of that technology that makes you captive. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You've been living in a dream world, Neil. A prison for your mind. Welcome. My word, part two of our three-part mini-series on Captology. This has turned out to be quite a journey. There was a, a, a wonderful person we were talking to the other day who used the term high-priority stimulus. Yes. That was, that was an extraordinary um, way to put it. So what's making our phones these high-priority stimuli now in our lives? Today, we'll examine how the science of captology is being applied to exploit that very natural human behavior of ours. And we'll break down the sneaky ways that technologists hold us all captive. Yeah, and we highly recommend listening to the first episode of Captology because we talk about the science behind it, the psychology that being used, like they understand human psychology very well and the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses there and they use that against us. But looking in history, it's very important to realize that corporates, business people always understood human psychology and they use that to promote their products, to make us buy more, and to make us loyal to certain brands. This is not new. This has always been there. So the first technique that we want to talk about is randomness or the variability reward. What that means that if you always get the same reward, when you say you do, you do an action, and it's predictable what you're going to get out of that action, you get bored. You don't, that action doesn't become addictive. But what if I say every time you do that action, I give you variable reward? Sometimes you open your phone, the notification, and it's um, a friend ads or a friend commenting on something, someone sending you a message. That variability reward that makes this technology highly addictive. Imagine that uh, you open, you go to the fridge, you know, every time you open the door, the light will turn on. You'll find your cheese and milk and vegetables there. Very predictable. Don't but forget the beer, Mia. The beer. <laughs> but imagine if I say, every time you open the fridge, you will find something new. And you never know what you will find. I would never, 
you would never guess was there. So that will make it highly addictive. So Nir Eyal, the author of Hooked, we talked about Nir Eyal's work in the first episode of Captology, how to build habit-forming products. He explains that software, especially social media, is designed around an idea described by the researcher B.F. Skinner in the 50s, the valuable rewards. And that's, that's very important to understand the concept of the valuable rewards because it's really embedded in all the other techniques that we would explain that makes technology highly addicted. Skinner experimenting with mice found that providing the same treats every time a mouse pressed a liver was less motivating than varying the rewards. Mice who received either a big treat or a small treat or nothing, they pressed the liver more times than the mice. They received the same treat every time. And the variable reward kept them pressing the liver for much longer, even after treats stopped coming. And that's how you create a highly addictive habit forming products. And that's the funny thing about when you, it's interesting I knew from one of my friends that if you post a picture, let's say, on Facebook or on Instagram, the algorithm is so smart and don't want you to get bored. So what they do, let's say, five friends at the same time like that picture. They saw it, got a notification, and they saw it, and they liked it. What, they, what, it, what Facebook algorithm does, it pays those notifications for you. It staggers them over time. It doesn't show them all at once, does it? No. So what it does, it just either shows your friends the photo in different times or if all of them liked it at the same time, it pays it for you. Because the whole the whole um, goal of Facebook is to make you spend longer time on screen time, to expand and maximize yeah. your screen time. And the way to do it is giving you pacing even those notifications so we're a bit like the animals in the experiment that are slowly being drip-fed some sort of and food or and stimulating food. And the other feature that can help really hold us captive, locked into these products, is the mechanism called infinite scroll. Yes, infinite scroll. Remember this word or this uh, term. When I first heard of it, I thought this this sounds like the the... Um, like the metaphorical digital slippery slope of attention theft. That's the way I thought of it. I love this. <laughs> slippery slope of attention theft. And I think, I think Tristan Harris calls it the bottomless bowl, doesn't he? So in our own news feeds, there's going to be no end in sight. It's just infinite. We could keep going for, for days, months. A lot like that Infinite Jest novel that we described earlier. There's just no end in sight. It's crazy, huh? When yeah. you scroll through the news feed, it never just stops. Keep going and going. So once we're absorbed in that reward cycle, it's extremely difficult for us to get out. So if you're a parent listening to this today, just think as a child you're now you're now exposed to all these variable variable rewards you're locked into an infinite scrolling pattern that's very difficult to get out so your war is probably not with your child it's probably with the technology that's in their hands and and the dopamine release it doesn't happen because of what you see next on your infinite scroll or on your news feed it's actually just come by the brain expecting something new something yeah. different valuable and that's the dopamine release. And that's the interesting part here. It's not yeah. the dopamine release is not connected to what you see. 
is actually the mechanism of scrolling and seeing new things and different things. And that's a tricky thing and very, in, in, what do you call it? Insidious. Insidious. We get that reward cycle and that dopamine hit every time we get a new bit of information. Yeah, that uh, new reward. Yeah. So one type of infinite scroll that you might have noticed is the autoplay next. Oh, yes. And the autoplay next, I don't know who started it. Um, I, I would guess it started with Netflix. I don't know who started the uh, autoplay next, but that's when you don't even put an effort. So you're watching an episode and in a few seconds, the next episode plays. Without you're, doing anything, without entering any other input, you don't even press a button. It nothing. just goes straight to the next episode. And it's the default setting. You can, of course, turn it off, which I did, but it's the default setting that the autoplay next in your YouTube also, the autoplay next yes. is turned on there. There are other things that you could consider under the infinite scroll, like pull to refresh. And pull to refresh was invented by Twitter people. And the guy who invented it actually now is is regretting inventing that. And the pull to refresh is started in Twitter, but then everyone copied it. And the guy who invented it is the technologist Lauren Britcher. He said, and I quote him, I have two kids And I regret every minute that I'm not paying attention to them because my smartphone has sucked me in. And it's Mm. so sad. There's a statistic that says that 79% of smartphone owners check their device within 15 minutes of waking up every morning. So if you have a partner, that means you touch your phone before even you touch your partner. There's a sad indictment on humanity right there that we've, the connection, that intimate, deep, loving connection has been severed in a way and is now being hijacked through not just, and there's more to come. We, we've only covered a few of these mechanisms, but it's being hijacked by these very clever uh, mechanisms of captology to get us away from what's very natural and normal. If you use iMessages or if you use any chat or messengers. Oh, the bubbles. The bubbles, you see those three bubbles that show that someone else is typing. This is actually called the typing awareness indicator. And those three bubbles that you see keeps increases your screen time. So well, it keeps you still yeah, I'm gonna staring stay. at your screen, right? Yeah, I'm not going to put my phone away. I'm going to want to stay to see what my friend is about to reply to me with, right? And then likewise, they're going to do true, the same. Right? Didn't you do that? Like when I do. Like, oh, they're typing. Uh, Uh, XYZ is typing. I'm going to stick around and see what it is. And and if you use Instagram or TikTok, Instagram, if you go to discovery page and you scroll down, there is a way to get out of it. If you just scroll away, you will get out of that scroll, the infinite scroll. TikTok actually doesn't give you that option. Yeah, we were looking at this the other day. It doesn't work in TikTok, does it? It just leads us right back to more videos notifications everyone is going to have everyone's going to have a notification story i've lost count now of how many people i've bumped into that say you know what i i think i heard my phone vibrate or ding and oh let me just check to see if there's a message and there's nothing there yeah me too i feel you've got phantom notification syndrome as well scientific name for it the phantom notification the vibration We're, we're almost inventing an entire entirely new universe of phenomena and mental health issues delusional just this. we're becoming delusional that our phones <laughs> are talking to us it's yeah <laughs> it's sad so notifications are very very powerful in this war for our attention 
I'm sure everybody here has had that experience of picking up their phone and seeing a whole host of little notifications here and ones and tags and new message dings and buzzes. So there's a we've become now programmed so strongly that we even start to hear these phantom notifications and experience these strange feelings that we're being contacted by our phones. And this was very carefully orchestrated, particularly by Facebook. Uh, they did not tell us who has become our new friend immediately, for example, um, or the words used by Netflix to alert us of a new series or episode release. These messages were crafted actually by AI algorithms, and they have been learning from us, these algorithms, exactly what we're expecting to see so that they can kind of almost guarantee that we're going to check in and see what the next notification is. Yeah. You came up through something that I didn't know. Right. I learned that Facebook acquired a sound design company and they, I, I think some of us will remember the, the, this, this shift when we logged onto Facebook on a web browser and suddenly the buttons have these little dings and swipes and zings and sounds associated with the different things that we're doing, whether we're posting a message or hitting send or... And it's part of the design to make them the very addictive. That's another form of stimulus, being able to, to target more than one sense it's not just the visual sensors that are being uh, targeted by technology. It's now the audio sensors as well, which means our brain is lighting up more. We're firing more synapses. We're hearing more. And those are, are, are we can kind of see them as the same uh, experiment that Pavlov did with his dog, where these sounds can now be used to make us salivate over the next post and the next notification. Yeah, you associate it. And one of the techniques the technologists used impacts me personally as a human rights activist is the share button. And I think the share button did more damage to freedom of expression, to democracy, to a healthy conversation or a healthy debate more than anything else. And Facebook knew the damage that the share button creates. Let me explain the share button. You read something that arouse that physiological, you have a physiological arousal because of that thing, whether anger or fear. And the first thing you think before you even go and fact check, before you even just sit on it a few seconds and understand that message, you hit the share button, sometimes without even reading the, fo- the link that's with that post. And then someone else read the same thing on their newsfeed and they hit the share button again. And that one makes things viral. And the book Contagious by Yuna Berger, Professor Yuna Berger, explained this very well. He says, what makes a post viral is our lizard brain taking control. He mentioned a few things, physiological arousals that causes us, causes the lizard brain to take over. The, the top two are actually anger and fear. Negative emotions. Yeah, and we talked about that. that the awe, yes. The awe. So sharing before fact-checking is one of the things that makes technology also highly addictive. Because once we are sucked in that anger and that fear, you want to you share, you want to engage in it, you want to talk about it, you want to... <laughs> and suddenly we're part of the like outrage. And, yes, and, that's, and now we're part of... Rightly or wrongly. 
right or wrongly, and now you're creating polarized yes society, society society that doesn't fact check. They just are part of disseminating wrong information or misinformation. So the, it's important that we explain the difference between disinformation and misinformation. Disinformation is you in purpose create something wrong and post it online. Misinformation is me looking at it, getting angry, no fact-checking, and then sharing it. And the share button is highly controversial in Facebook. And if you followed the Facebook files, which is the leaks of tens of thousands of documents by Francis Hogan, the former Facebook employee. Yes, they discussed it too. They discussed it and they wanted to make sure that people don't share right away, that just you have to read, either remove it completely or you can just share before reading the content there or just copy and paste the content instead of just clicking on a button, the share button. Yes, it's called a stop queue, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Stop queue, I like this. So the problem is with technologists who prioritize engagement over everything else The damage they do, the collateral damage that happens is huge. And especially in countries where they had to face genocide, genocide, massacres, hate. And those countries like Myanmar, Facebook was heavily involved in that. Uh, Fiddling with democracies like Philippines and Facebook is known to fiddle with, uh, to... to Interfere. Interfere with that. The share button to me seems like the nuclear weapon of these tactics because it creates this ripple effect, uh, nuclear reaction in the sense that one atom being split causes the next atom to be split, then causes the next atom to be split. So there's a nuclear reaction that's massively amplifying the effect. The share button for me is a bit like the nuclear weapon of these technological tactics. The domino effect or the snowball. Yes, it's not the same as me perhaps sharing something that's incorrect or, or at a dinner party and maybe four or five people perhaps are exposed to some information that's incorrect. When we do it online, it could be thousands, it could be hundreds of thousands, millions of people that hear the wrong information. Let's take a break. You're listening to Tech for Evil. Can we read some of the messages about the like button? The ones I sent you, they were so funny. Which one are you They're reading? very passive-aggressive, aren't they? Which one are you reading? Well, there's that number 24 one there. Uh, hey, do you mind unliking my comment? It's <laughs> bothering me that 48 people laugh-reacted and you only liked, liked it. it. <laughs> I'd prefer if you just didn't respond. This is a true wow. message. Someone took a screenshot. <laughs> oh, my word. The other one, this guy posted a status on his Facebook saying, I was very disappointed in my... Happy birthday, Facebook numbers. Next year, I would like to see some more enthusiasm or I will ghost you. People really take it seriously. Wow, I think... Their social media That's the perfect way to advertise to your friend circle that they need to go and get some other friends besides you, I think. We're talking about the like button that actually, when it was introduced, Zuckerberg 
was against it for a couple of years. Surprised to hear this, yeah. I was really surprised that someone like Zuckerberg would not have pounced on the idea of a like button and and capitalize on that social comparison um, vulnerability of ours as humans because we all want to one-up the next person and have more likes or more dollars in our bank account, whatever it is. So I was really surprised that he held out on the like button. But how transformative has it been, the like button? is almost a social currency now, really, isn't it? Especially on a social you are. platform. Yeah, yeah the social validation. Yes, the social validation that comes from seeing likes and from having your friend network uh, like something and endorse you. Um, social validation, this is, this is another example where the science of captology can be applied to tap into one of our vulnerabilities and use that to get more of our attention. Who among us hasn't sort of sat around after a post hoping and counting, waiting for those numbers of likes to increase over time? It's like every like gives you a shot of dopamine. Yes. Yeah. So I want to read a quote here. In 2007, Rosenstein was one of a small group of Facebook employees who decided to create a path of least resistance, a single click to send little bits of positivity across the platform. Sounds like a good idea. Facebook's like feature was, Rosenstein says, wildly successful. The engagement soared as people enjoyed the short-term boost they got from giving or receiving social affirmation, while Facebook harvested valuable data about the preferences of users that could be sold to advertisers. Wow. The idea was soon copied by Twitter with its heart-shaped likes. Previously, uh, star-shaped uh, favorites is what they had when they started. So Instagram and countless other apps and websites copied all of this. Very powerful, the like button for social affirmation among our social networks. We all want to sit there and be approved of by our friends, by the people that know us and have our opinions affirmed and our life really, because a lot of us live life uh, or did, I suppose. I, I'm guilty of that myself or I posted parts of my life on Facebook and wanted the choices I made, the lifestyle I was living to be affirmed at the time. I don't know if that's something you kind of went through. I know you've deleted your Facebook account probably long ago now. Yeah, I did it. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everything, including LinkedIn, by the way. And I reopened it again just for professional reasons. And that's it. Yeah. yeah so the like button is another one um, technologists use to make their technology highly addictive. It's almost a social currency really right now. That, that's how I the see The number it. of likes yeah. in your picture, that means. Oh. The, the interesting thing about the like button in Instagram, because it, it encourages comparison and that what makes it very harmful for teenagers. because Particularly they can, adolescents, yeah. Because you post photos of your lifestyle, your body, your whatever. And that what they what the Instagram did, they had to remove it later because they knew that it was causing suicidal thoughts and yeah. anxiety, um, eating disorders, and they had to remove it. And if you now look at your Instagram feed, which I don't have, you can see it liked by, and that's it. But they don't tell you the number of likes um, on Instagram. There's a there's a particular vulnerability that we need to address here around the younger 
people in our community as well. It's largely teenagers who are drawn to social media apps and drawn to this type of online interaction with their friends. And what a study from psychological science, which looked specifically at the influence of likes, discovered was that the teenage brain is very likely to react to a like the same way that they would if they were eating chocolate or winning money. So that's a really powerful connection. We started the three-part mini-series talking about how some of the origin stories for these technologies and these um, and these tools go back to the gambling industry, and it's easy to see the connection how these how these industries are borrowing and learning from another. And now that aren't they swapping notes? Even social media is now being used as experts for the gambling industry to now draw upon what they are going to develop to keep people addicted. So it's extraordinary how it's the youngest. It tends to be the most vulnerable of our societies as we as we focus on topic areas with each episode. This pattern of the most vulnerable people in our society tend to be the most disproportionately affected by these it's, tools and technologies. So scientists who study the teenager brain, the teenager brain doesn't develop until their early 20s. So even if they are 18 and you call them adult, they're not. Mine they didn't develop not. till my early 30s, Manal. <laughs> My my mind is still developing, but it's the 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 part of your mind that is responsible for logical taking decisions in this a logical way. The prefrontal cortex, yeah. That is not devo- fully developed yet. That's in the making, and when you get technology that really gets in the way of developing a healthy brain, you're still risk taker. You still don't uh, think logically. So when this technology is getting in the way, they can easily manipulate that mind and can easily uh, make it more vulnerable than the adult mind, the teenagers and the kids. Wanted to draw draw a connection there from the gambling industry once again. When I heard this last one that we're going to talk, that you're going to talk about, I instantly uh, thought of winning streaks, right? Yes, Being on a winning streak in a a casino somewhere. Streaks. And the one who invented them, I think, was Snapchat. It was their streaks. And streaks, if you have a person who is not on Snapchat, you can explain it to them very in a very simple way. A streak is a way that keep two friends in contact. So they use, let's say, um, we're both on Snapchat. I talk to my friend today. That's day one in my streak. Tomorrow, we talk again. That's day two. The day after, a week after, so on a daily basis, Continuous we're communicating, we're, we're exchanging messages and exchanging uh, snaps. That makes us seven days. So the longer, some, some kids make streaks for that goes for months. And just when you go away, when you don't have access to the internet or access to your phone. Like a those, holiday. Those kids give those phones to their their um, accounts, to their siblings or other friends and ask them to log in, uh, communicate with their friends so they keep their streak going. And that's crazy. You know, I'm such a troglodyte. I had to ask you to explain this to me three or four times, I streak. think, the other day so that I could understand what but, a streak was because, because I don't have Snapchat and it sounds like thank God for that. But good, good 
technologists use it to reinforce positive habits. Like I use uh, Hitspace and it's beautiful because I have streaks in Hitspace and it shows me how many days, continuous days I've been, uh, I've been meditating. If you use Duolingo which, to learn a new language, it has streaks too. And that's healthy because you want to establish a healthy habit that helps me. But to have a streak to just communicate with a friend and... Yeah, it sounds like it could be used either to incentivize uh, healthy lifestyles, meditation, healthy eating, healthy exercise, or it could tap into our time. fear, of, or on the opposite, yeah, it could tap into our fear of missing out. Yes, formal and 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 incentivize negative behavior. And formal. When I used to use social media, I always felt had that feeling that. Um, I'm missing something. My friends are up to, they were in a party or they were visiting this event. I always had that feeling, you know, that itch. Sure. Which is like, you want to know what your friends are doing. There's a uh, party and I'm not invited. Exactly. And that, they really went to that part of the teenage life where they don't want to miss out the good days. And they deploy that. They they use that in the technology. Nobody wants to be excluded, especially in their own social circle. And the funny thing is, these platforms can be used actually to exclude a lot of other people and maximize that exclusion because now you can flaunt it. Back in the day, if you had a party and you wanted to secretly invite five out of the six people in your friend circle, you had that party <laughs> and no one knew about it. But now Everyone that party happens and, and then there's a, a hundred photos of it. Oh my God. There's one of the te- uh, the techniques technologists use. We will not talk a lot about it. I think that needs a whole episode. And it's the in-app purchases. And mostly gaming industry, the gaming industry are known to use highly addictive techniques to make their games highly addictive to the way that in Japan, if anyone wo- played World of Warcraft or WoW, yeah. that is a highly addictive game. And they open therapy and rehab centers in Japan to heal people, to help people with their addiction. We're not going to talk about that now, but I think all of us um, who use phones, we experience one of these uh, techniques, one of them or all of them, actually. I know we're not going to discuss it now, but in-app purchases, I think I have quite a bit of empathy for any parent that perhaps has been duped by their child to handing over a credit card for some, oh, mum, it's just a just for a game, only for a bill to show up later with thousands of dollars on yeah. it. Happened uh, with I, me, I'm yeah. Pretty sure, I'm Happened pretty with... sure there's going to be a lot of people that want to listen to that one. Clash of Clans, yeah. My son spent like $500 there. Oh, wow. <laughs> I had to contact them. I was like, that was a mistake. He's like, oh, I'm getting all these freebies. And I'm like, no, that was charging my credit card. Freebies, oh, hilarious. But they are highly addictive. Uh, Candy Crush is known to be highly addictive. We're not going to talk about this here. But we would would like to stress, I think, the the, the secret source, or what I'm calling the secret source that animates all of these tactics is the dopamine. And that dopamine, targeting that dopamine, understanding it, Technologists who understand Captology well, I think they are dopamine experts. There's that addiction creating that dopamine feedback loop. That secret source, really powerful uh, when it comes to the whole model. And that hooked model is almost directly represented in the way that dopamine works on a neurological level. That goes from the, the action to the anticipation, receiving that reward. And then that repeat. repeat. And now you're in a habit and you're hooked. 
Yeah, we mentioned dopamine a lot, and I would like to explain for people who are not very familiar with such chemicals in our brain. It's a um, is one of the brain's uh, neurotransmitters is dopamine. It's a chemical, and this chemical, what it does, it just carries information between our neurons, and the dopamine helps regulate movement, attention, learning, emotional responses, and also enables us not to only see rewards, but also take action to move toward these reports. So it makes you seeking things that gives you uh, dopamine. And dopamine known to contribute to the feelings of pleasure, satisfaction, and this is part of the reward system that technologists use. So if we talk a lot about dopamine uh, and why it causes addiction, it's because the human is a pleasure seeker. And if you understand that, you can, of course, use it against humans. And unfortunately today, because we focus so much, we use technology. One of the, one of the studies we were reading about in how our smartphones are actually dumping us because our attention is hijacked. With, even if your phone is off, but it's next to you, your IQ is, is lower. It lowers your IQ. But that's the end of this episode and we will see you next episode and we will talk about the impacts and harms and what you can actually do about facing such yes. pandemic. We're going to give you some tools, some tactics. There is a way through this, even though uh, we've highlighted some pretty nefarious things for you today. There is a digital self-defense course coming and we will give you the listener, a chance to practice these in your life. There is a, a, a tide slowly turning, whether it's people getting away from their smartphones and buying dumb phones now or doing other things. There's a, there's a range. <laughs> yes, society is slowly waking up. And if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're probably one of these people that are slowly waking up to the really big excesses of big tech. Join us next time.